Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Good morning, Res Church. I hope that you guys are doing well, everyone who's watching at home. I hope that God is just blessing you and just I hope that you're prepared for today's word. I know you're probably looking like, who is this guy? Let me introduce myself. My name is Mike Moore, and I'm the lead pastor at City Church located in Albany, New York. You know, uh, before I dive into today's message, I want to give honor where honor is due. And I just want to take a moment and honor Bishop Joe and Joyce Matera for their service, their commitment, and their faithfulness to Resurrection Church and ultimately to the body of Christ. I have known Bishop Joe for around five years now, and he has become like a spiritual father to me, just pouring into me and investing into me, and also some of the leaders at our church. And so we are incredibly grateful for the Matera family up at City Church. A little bit about myself. Uh, I live in Albany, New York with uh, my wife, Christy, and we also have a son named Judah and a daughter named Allie. Here's a picture of them. That's us just a few weeks ago, apple picking before, you know, winter arrived. You know, today I want to talk to you guys around this topic of oneness and unity, uh, and I have a sermon called The Table. So if you are taking notes today, I want to invite you to take notes, and and simply we're just going to talk about the table today. You know, whenever I think about God's incredible story of of what he is doing, his redemptive plan, um, it really does uh, just bring up this beautiful picture, this, this love story that God is showing for all of humanity. And you know, I know maybe if you're new to church or new to Christianity, maybe you're just exploring it for the first time and you open up the Bible, it can seem a little overwhelming, right? You've got 66 books. It's broken up into two major sections where you've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then if you dive in a little bit deeper, you've got the epistles and the gospel and the minor and the major prophets. And then uh, what con- consisted of the Torah back in the day and, and these love poetic things called Song of Solomon. But really, this entire book right here that we call the Holy Bible or the Holy Scripture, it is one simple love story from God to humanity. And, and, and I think that if you sit here and you, you kind of look at it, you can see that from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Leviticus and Exodus to John and Matthew, there is a story about God's love for humanity woven in there. You know, think about all of the scripture. Maybe you're like me and you don't have all 66 books memorized. Maybe uh, you just have trouble even uh, being able to to kind of point where the certain books in the Bible may be. I want to kind of break it down for just a moment. This one story, if you took this one story of God's love for us and you broke it up into six different acts, you would have the scripture. And by that I mean this. At the beginning of the scripture, you have the beginning, Act 1, where God, Elohim, the creator of all things, creates this beautiful habitation for humanity, for man and woman to dwell in the presence and commune with God. And it was intended for it to happen forever. But you see very quickly that you see 
in, in Genesis chapter 3, we enter into Act 2 of the story. Act 2 is the revolt, revolt where Adam and Eve revolted against the commands of God and the presence of God and the will of God, and they stepped into sin. And at that moment, this world became fractured and broken, and sin, sin separated us from being in community or communing with our Heavenly Father. And you see that as this story continues on, God finds a man by the name of Abraham or Abram, and, and he takes Abram and, and he says, hey, I'm going to create in you a people, a nation. And out of that, there's this commitment and this covenant that God gives to Abraham. And that's where you see Act 3 take place. Act 3 being the people, the people of God. And it was the Israelites that God chose and God said, these are going to be my people. And he intended for them to be holy and to be set apart. But many of us know how the story goes. The people of God would not remain in community with God. If anything, they continued to revolt. They would have a few good years of following the commandments of God and then a few years of rebelling against God. They'd have a season of, I want to pursue righteousness and holiness, and then a season of, I want nothing to do with this God, this Yahweh. And, and so that led God in this beautiful story to act for the Savior, where our Messiah, Jesus Christ, left heaven, was born of the Virgin Mary roughly 2,000 years ago, and came into this world as a baby with the intent to die for my sins and for your sins. And through his blood, through his sacrificial, perfect blood that was spilled, it paid for and bought our righteousness, our right standing with our heavenly father. And because of Jesus Christ, we can now be saved by faith through grace or by grace through faith without us doing anything and enter into this beautiful relationship with the heavenly father. And whenever Jesus, he ascended, things shifted. It went from act four being the savior to act five, the church. And currently, this is the act that we are in, where God's spirit left heaven and started to dwell in humanity, in men and women who believe and profess and follow the teachings and the way of Jesus Christ. And through his spirit, even Jesus, he said, you will be my witnesses and I'm gonna give you power and you're going to be able to take my message of love and grace and redemption to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And here we are 2,000 years later in New York State <clears throat> to the ends of the earth. And then Act 6 is the return. And that's whenever Christ returns, not as a baby in a manger, but as a conquering king coming to bring righteousness and justice to this earth, coming to redeem the church and bring her into the fullness that God has called her in. We are the, 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 the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. And we see that all throughout scripture that the church is referenced at, as the bride. And so in this 66 books, you have six acts, the beginning, the revolt, the people, the savior, the church, and the return. And one of the things about this entire story is there's this beautiful um, sacrament, if you want to call it, that is woven all the way back, tracing back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that is woven into our story. And today, 
we get to still celebrate that. We get to participate in that. And that is Holy Communion or the Eucharist. I want to read a passage of scripture out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is where Paul is addressing the church in Corinth. And he says, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in that same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup of the new covenant is my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Have you ever lost something in your life? Like, I mean this for real. If you're, if you're like me, I have a tendency to lose things very often in my life. Um, one of the things I lose a lot are, are my car keys. It's like constantly I'm going to my wife, Christy, have you seen the keys? Christy, do you know, do you know where they are? And she's like, did you check by the front door? And usually I go there and I don't find them and I have to go back to her and then she comes back and they're just hanging up perfectly. And I don't know what it is about dudes and maybe some of the men out there, you can, you get this, but it's like something could be right in front of our eyes and we have to get our wife to be able to come in and find it's like, hey, can you go get the ketchup? And you open up the fridge. You can't find the ketchup. And she goes to the fridge and the ketchup is literally right there. I, if that's you, I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it isn't you, but that is, that is me, right? That is my story. I think oftentimes whenever we think about Holy Communion, we forget the importance of it. We, for, we forget the meaning of it. We forget the significance of what it is that we're doing. More often than not, it's probably something that we just do or something that we just take as a tradition or because the communion elements are being passed in the middle of church or during worship and we forget about it. If you grew up Roman Catholic or maybe mainline Episcopal, you know that every Sunday the entire service was built towards the Holy Eucharist and then people would come up and the priest would bless them and they would drink from the, the cup and I know many people that I've talked to, they've raised questions of why. What, what is the importance of this? Maybe you've had a time in your life where you've experienced something so profound that you can't forget it. So all of us, we've had moments where we forget things. We've forgotten our keys. We've forgotten where we put, um, you know, our laptop or whatever. But we've also had moments where we can never forget a particular moment that takes place. Some of those being the birth of a child. I remember whenever Judah was born, it was the most terrifying few moments of, of my life, but I'll never forget that. And seeing him and hearing him cry for the first time, or whenever Allie was born, our daughter, I will never forget that. Or whenever I, on my wedding day, turned around and I saw my beautiful wife standing on this bridge and this, she had this gorgeous white gown and my stepbrother being like, she looks good. And I'm like, shut up. She's my wife or soon to be, right? Um, I'll never forget that moment. Or for me, another moment that was very pivotal is 17 years old in a Waffle House parking lot in Vitor, Texas, where Jesus met me at two o'clock in the morning and I hit to my knees and I just started weeping. We all have significant moments in our life that we will never forget. And we all have other significant moments in our life where we will forget. And what Holy Communion does and should do for every one of us 
is point us back to the moment where Christ met us, where Christ saved us. And maybe for some of you watching today, today is that moment where Christ steps in and he will meet you. You know, oftentimes we look at Christianity and we say, how does this play into my story, right? How does this play into my story? Or, or what is it in the world that's going to happen? What is it that's going on and how does this play into my story? Let me just say this to you all, friends. This isn't about your story. We are simply just people and instruments who a creator, Elohim, Yahweh, our heavenly father, invited us into his story. This entire book right here that we call the scripture is not a story necessarily about us that we can be better at life, but a story about God's grace that he invites us into. We are the canvas that our creator wants to, to take and, and make and mold to be something absolutely beautiful for his glory. And when we take communion as a unified church, we enter into his story. You know, thinking about communion, as I said, it's kind of woven all throughout the scripture. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had father, and you guys, you know the rest of the song, right? But Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had a, um, a ton of kids, 12 sons to be exact, and um, one of his sons was by the name of Joseph. And see, Joseph, he had this dream or this vision from God, and, and he was, got very prideful, and he went around, and he told his other brothers, and his brothers didn't like it because he basically said, hey, I'm going to be your ruler one day, and you're all going to be coming and bowing down to me. Now, if your brother told you that or your sister told you that, I'm sure that you would be upset with them, and you would probably dismiss them. They took it to a whole other level, though, what they did is they said, let's get rid of Joseph. And so they sold Joseph into slavery and went back to their father, Jacob, and lied to Jacob about what happened to Joseph. They said Joseph must have died when really they sold him into slavery. And Joseph went through years of being enslaved, years of serving, years of being thrown into prison until by the grace and the favor of God, God took this slave boy and raised him up to be the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. And, and he became very close to the Pharaoh. And then all of Joseph's brothers, they ended up coming back. Now you might be saying, Michael, how on earth does this tie into communion? I'm getting there. Give me just a second. And so what happens next is, is, is Joseph and his family, they all come to Egypt and, and the Israelites start populating Egypt and Pharaoh passes away and another one's there and that one passes away. And then finally you get a Pharaoh who realized that there's so many Israelites, millions of Israelites, and he says, you know what, let's flip the script on them and let's put them into slavery. And they put the Israelites into captivity and into slavery for 430 years. 430 years of building these massive monuments that we look at today. 430 years of living off of scraps. 430 years of being beaten and given just enough rations to be able to survive. 
And the Israelites, they start crying out to God for God to save them, God to send them a deliverer, God to send them someone who will take them out of captivity. And that's exactly what God does, is he takes a Hebrew that ended up growing up in Pharaoh's house by the name of Moses, and he raises him up at the age of 80 to let the people of God go from their captivity. And so Moses marches into Pharaoh, who he grew up with, might I say. And he says to Pharaoh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob says to let my people go. And as you know, that's exactly what happened. God sends 10 plagues, and on the 10th plague, it was the death of every firstborn male in all of the land. But he made a promise to Abraham, I'm sorry, to Moses, and he made a covenant with Moses at that moment that said, if you can find and if you take a spotless lamb, you slaughter that lamb, you take the blood of that lamb and you put it on the door of your house, the angel of death will pass over your house. And that night death came to Egypt. But every house that was marked with the blood, the blood of this lamb, this angel passed over. The next day, Pharaoh was so angry, he let the Israelites go. And they started to step into their freedom. Moses was their deliverer. For thousands of years, people celebrated that meal, that Passover, that first Passover, including Jesus himself, who he sat down at the age of 33 with his closest disciples at the table to celebrate Passover which would actually become his last supper. And so when we eat of the bread, when we drink of the juice, this isn't something that we're just doing to be a part of tradition. This isn't something that we're just doing to, um, you know, make us feel good. Ultimately, we are entering into the story of God and how we see God's redemptive work and God's redemptive plan all throughout history. And so here you are, you have the Apostle Paul who's writing to the church in Corinth. And as he's writing to them, as he's talking to them, he says, hey, I want to correct a few things. And, and I want to read this out of the message, actually. If you jump up a few verses to, to verse 17 in the message, he says, regarding this next item, I am not at all pleased. Could you, could you just imagine if you got an email from Bishop Joe and it was like, Michael, regarding this next email, I am not at all pleased. My, my heart would just drop in. But he says, For I am getting the picture that when you meet together, it brings out the worst side instead of the best. First, I get this report of your divisiveness, competing with and criticizing each other. I'm reluctant to believe it, but there it is. The best can be said, for it is that the testing process will bring truth into the open and confirm it. Verse 22, and when I find that you bring division to worship, you come together and instead of eating the Lord's Supper, you bring in a lot of food from the outside and you make pigs of yourself. Some of you are let out, left out. You go home hungry. Others have to be carried out too drunk to walk. I can't believe it. Don't you have your own homes to eat and drink in? Why would you stoop, stoop to desecrating God's church? Why would you actually shame God's poor? I never would have believed you would stoop to this, and I'm not going to stand by 
and say nothing. See, the Apostle Paul, he's talking about holy communion and how it should be holy and sacred, but how that there are some people in the church who became spiritual elitist. They thought that they were better than the other people. They thought that they had their act together because maybe they had more money or shinier things. They looked down on people who were poor, or they looked down on people who maybe didn't walk like them, talk like them, or act like them. And the Apostle Paul is given a firm rebuke here right now saying, hey, when we come to take Holy Communion, which actually was called a love feast back then, when we gather as the people of God, the church of God, this is an opportunity for us to celebrate the grace of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, and the mercy that Jesus Christ has extended upon us. And instead, what happened was people were making it into a big competition. You know, I think about this today in our modern church, right? In the church here in America, what, what, are, what are some of the things that we argue about? I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you guys don't realize this, but there's this huge, big theological debate. Is it Calvinism or is it Arminianism? Is it contemporary or is it traditional? Is it spirit-led or is it truth? Is it, and you can, you know, do you have lights and smoke or do you have an organ? And, and I think what's happened is we've taken these differences that maybe we would have that should be preferences and we brought it to the center, we brought it to the forefront, and we've allowed it to cause division in the body of Christ. And instead of looking at these things and saying it's either this or it's that, maybe we need to be looking at these things and saying it is both and. Can it be contemporary and traditional? Yes. Can it be Calvinism and Arminianism? Yes. Can it be spirit? Can it be truth? Yes. Can it be poor? Can it be rich? Yes. We need to look at these things that, that has caused so much division in the church, and we need to realize that right now, God is raising up a generation who is going to look at these things that used to be either or, and they're going to be able to say, no, it is both and. We need both the traditional and both the contemporary. We need both people who fall in the line of Calvinism and people who fall in the line of Arminianism. Yes, we need both spirit and we need both truth. And, and I'm here to tell you today, church, God is looking for a unified church who will get focused on the principles, focused on the main things, focused on elevating Jesus above everything else and willing to lay down their preferences for the sake of the unity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I genuinely believe that is what God is calling for. He's not looking for a bunch of spiritual elitists. You know, we have a conference up in Albany called uh, the Revo Conference we do every year. And uh, my friend Nathan and I, we got to go out with one of, our, one of the speakers who's become a good friend of mine, Noah Heron. And whenever we were sitting there after the conference, we were talking and he was just sharing, yeah, man, we had this conference not too long ago and that conference. And, and I was like, man, what's it like being with some of the people you've been around? And he said, well, you know, Mike, there's this one guy who I picked up from the airport, and he barely talked to me. And he came in 30 seconds before he was going to preach, and he preached a fiery message, and he walked off stage, and he immediately wanted to go to his hotel room. The next day, I was supposed to pick him up at his hotel and take him out to breakfast. I show up at his hotel. He wasn't there. After that, I text him. I called him. He finally got back to me. He decided to go to Cracker Barrel without me. 
So I go and I pick him up at Cracker Barrel, trying to start conversation with him. He asked me to go grab his stuff from his hotel. So I did that with him sitting in the car. I'm driving all the way to the airport, trying to talk to him. We get to the airport, and, and I kid you not, this is what he said. Noah looks at me and he goes, Michael, he handed me the food that he was still eating, his pancakes, and he goes, here, it's your lucky day. Got out of the car, shut the door, and walked off. Two days later, he found out the guy that was driving him, Noah, was the guy that invited him and the host of the conference. And he immediately texted him and said, man, I am so sorry. See, God is looking for people who are going to be humble, not people that are going to be spiritual elitist. God is looking for people that are going to lead in humility, lead in service, that we are all on the same playing field, recognizing that we need our Savior, Jesus Christ, not people who are going to think that they are better than other Christians based upon what they have or how much knowledge they may have. Man, if there is ever a time for the church of Jesus Christ to, to be unified and to come together as one right now in 2020 is this time. The church, the New Testament church, consisted of black and white and Asian. The New Testament church consisted of rich and poor, of political leaders and peasants. The New Testament church consisted of every tribe, every nation, and every tongue being unified by one thing, and that one thing being Jesus Christ. I remember at our church several years ago, maybe a first year or two into it, we had a, uh, we call them essentials or next steps class. And I remember sitting there and there was a politician in, in this conversation, sitting around this table, there was a politician, a nuclear engineer, and a homeless guy. And that was the church. I left that conversation and I said, that's what it's about. No one is better than anybody else. We're all sitting here broken, messed up people in need of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in our life. Whether we're homeless or whether we're the politician or whether we're the lobbyist down at Capitol Hill or whether we're the nuclear engineer or the millionaire IT guy, we all need Jesus Christ. And he pulls us all together through the cross and his blood. The table. You know, Thanksgiving is in a few weeks. I say a few weeks. Somebody correct that. Thanksgiving is in a few days. It is Sunday, right? And I know normally we might gather 20 or 30 people, and maybe some of you guys will. You know, Jesus couldn't even gather this Thanksgiving with his 12 disciples because he would be breaking the law in New York State, right? That was a joke. Don't email me. But I want you to think about this. We're going to gather and we're going to celebrate. We're going to be thankful for what God has done, despite what we've experienced. And my challenge for all of us is that when we gather, we don't just approach this as another meal. We approach this as worship. We approach this as an opportunity for us to be able to be unified, put aside our differences, and be unified and be thankful for the cross, the body, and the blood that was poured out for all of us. And even today, he's inviting us to his table. Even today, he's inviting 
you to come and take a seat at his table. That night in the upper room, the last supper, or what I would even say the first communion, he invited 12 of his closest friends to gather around, to laugh, to cut up, to share some food with one another. And you even see some of them like, who is the greatest? Jesus, tell me who's the greatest. And Jesus is like, the one who is the least is the greatest. I, I, I think about this. How beautiful would it be if whenever we gather on a Sunday or you gather in your homes like we are today or you gather this upcoming Thursday, we gather and we just pause and we remember. We remember the words of Jesus Christ where he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Are you broken today? Are you hurting? Do you feel alone? Do you feel like everyone's abandoned you? Man, know that Christ has not abandoned you. Know that Christ is with you. Know that Christ is for you. And his body is representing it. This bread represents what his body went through so that, that through his stripes, we would be healed. His body. And then you have the wine. Jesus took the cup of wine and he drank from it. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, a covenant of grace, a covenant of rest, a covenant of healing, a covenant of you don't have to work because Christ has already done it for you. And so this Thursday, my challenge is you take your wine or you take your coffee or you take your soda or your water and as you drink it, you do it in remembrance of him unto the glory of God. See, oftentimes we think about communion and we just say, oh, it's just another sacrament or another religious thing that we're doing. But really it's Jesus saying, hey, hey, friend, hey, friend, come here. I want you to come sit at my table. I want you to dine at my table. I've got the best turkey. I've got the best bread. I've got the finest wine. And I have rest. And I have healing. And I have hope. And I want you to be a part of my body, the body of Christ. And what the table does for us is whenever we sit down and we start thinking about Man, maybe, maybe they're mad at me, or maybe I'm just not cool enough. Christ says that you're cool. Christ says that you're accepted. Christ is not mad at you. Or, or maybe, especially this year, you feel like you've been letting people down all the time, or you're just not good enough. You're not going to amount to anything. I'm telling you, today, God says that you are good enough. He sent his son to die for you because you were worth it. You are valued to him. And, and maybe for some of you, you're coming into Thanksgiving, you're saying, everyone is against me. The table reminds us that God is for us. And scripture says very clear, if God is for us, what can stand 
against us. And so church, let me remind you this Thanksgiving, we are dealing with pandemics. We are dealing with political tension. We are dealing with um, the racial, racial injustice in the world. We're dealing with murder horns. We're dealing with all of these crazy things. But if God is for his church, what can stand against her? What can stand against her? Accept the invitation to come to the table. I remember Christy and I, as I close out, we, um, we had an opportunity in February to go to Israel. And uh, it was just this overwhelming, breathtaking experience that we had there. But one of the moments that I will never forget, I probably have forgotten some of the stuff on the Israel trip, was we went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And they took us to this hill where there wasn't a lot of people around. And we kind of walked down this ledge. And as soon as we cut down this ledge, you got a group of 28 pastors. And we're all just talking and cutting up. And you just hear one by one, silence hit them. And we walk into the garden. And they've got this beautiful uh, quilt cover type thing laying in the grass. And they have bread. And they had wine. And we took Holy Communion in the garden where Jesus Christ cried out, God, not my will, but your will be done. And it was one of the most sobering moments of my life because everything from God's narrative, God's redemptive plan, God's story was brought to my remembrance at that moment. And I was able to rest and remember and I had this revelation inside of me that I am a part of something so much bigger than my life. I am invited into the story of God and his redemptive work as a unified church, the body of Christ. And so look, maybe some of you guys are sitting there and you're saying, Mike, that's great, but I just don't know if I know Jesus. And I want to give you that opportunity today. I want to give you the opportunity to just say a simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Nothing of the words make it to where you are saved. It's truly your heart posture. Jesus, I give you my life. And if you mean that, man, we would love for you to email us and reach out to us. We would love to be able to connect you and to help you grow in your faith, and to take next steps as a new believer in just Jesus Christ. But for everyone else, my challenge for you this week, this Thanksgiving week, is to stop and remember to rest in his presence and to allow the revelation of Holy Communion, communion through a unified church to be brought to the forefront. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you uh, for everyone who is watching this message today, God, online, I just ask that you would be with them, speak to them. God, let this be a, a season of unity for the body of Christ and a season of remembrance of your blood that was shed for us, your body that was broken for us so that we can be made whole. Let communion not be another tradition that we do, but let it be worship that we have unto you. It's in your son's name, the name above every other name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. See you soon. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www 
www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.